Welcome to Wealth Well Done. Together, we'll cover a wide range of important topics surrounding money and the impact it has on our lives. From the sophisticated and highly valuable planning techniques of the ultra-wealthy to the commonly underutilized biblical teachings. Together, we'll work to improve our relationship with money and our effectiveness in stewarding it well. Here's your host, Eric Scoville. All right. Welcome to the 25th episode of the Wealth Well Done podcast, where we go after the tactical, practical, and spiritual advice to help you do your wealth well done. Um, last week, we were, I guess the last couple of weeks here, we were blessed to have Brandon Hall on. Brandon Hall, um, CEO and founder with Hall CPA and TaxSmart Insiders, or TaxSmart Investors. I know I'm part of TaxSmart Insider Group, but TaxSmart Investors, um, he came on and we we got to cover a lot, especially on the business side of things. And um, this week here and, and this week and next week, we're going to have on Thomas Castelli, his partner in this. And Thomas is, uh, I think his main, his main task is, is running the TechSmart um, investor group. And so we're going to um, dig in deep on that today. So Thomas, I'm so grateful to have you on here. Thank, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here too. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, as we get into this, the uh, disclaimer as always is that this is intended to be educational, informational here, uh, not meant to be financial advice to you. Um, even though Thomas is uh, <laughs> is a licensed tax professional, he is not giving you tax advice. So um, at, at that standpoint, please consult your own financial team to decide if these things are a good fit for you. Uh, but nothing here should be considered as, as actual financial advice. Um, all right. So... Tom, we were we were uh, given a lot here last couple of weeks with Brandon. Will you maybe before we get into that, just give us a, a brief bio of who you are and and why you're qualified to talk about taxes and, and real estate? Yeah, yeah, sure, a- absolutely. So um, my name is Thomas Costelli. I'm a CPA, certified financial um, accountant. Sorry, a certified. <laughs> A public accountant, right? And uh, so I basically, I work with real estate investors to help them keep more of their hard-earned dollars in their pockets and out of the governments through proactive tax strategy and planning. Um, over my career, I've been fortunate enough to work with hundreds of investors at this point doing this and accumulatively have saved them millions of dollars in taxes. And um, so that's, I work, um, work with them on everything from the real estate professional status, short-term rentals to uh, home offices, paying children through businesses, entity structuring, pretty much everything in between. Um, I also invest in real estate myself. Um, I was on a, a sponsorship team of an 82 in an apartment complex that we since t- t- have taken full cycle. And now I just invest as a limited partner in multifamily, industrial funds, things like that. Um, so I can stay focused on helping people reduce taxes. So that's, that's just a little bit about me. Awesome. Awesome. Appreciate it. We are, we're probably going to hit every one of those topics today. So, um, all right. Let, let's jump in. Um, for, for those of you who didn't listen uh, the last couple of weeks, as, as we talked about here, this, this tax smart investor group um, that, that you and Brandon have, um, this is a, it's an online forum that you can get in and you have just a ton of content. Not only the stuff that you have produced of, of videos to help people understand how to, how to analyze a schedule C um, or any other, you've got a ton of videos out there to, to help people understand taxes. Uh, but then people just get in and submit their questions and you have their answers and all of that's you know saved there for people to go in and search. You know, what about a 1031 exchange? If you type in 1031 exchange, you're going to get a ton of answers 
a, a very specific questions that someone has and then you guys answer back. It's a monthly subscription that we have. I am absolutely a, uh, a paying member here and um, I would have paid you, uh, easily paid you 10 times the amount that I'm paying you because the, the advice that I've gotten out of that, um, A, it makes me better, you know, I, I am more equipped as a, as an investor uh, and for handling my own taxes, um, it has certainly made me um, look smarter and and be more helpful to to my clients. Um, so I, I I am a huge proponent of this, and I don't mean this to just to pump the tires of the guest here. I, I am absolutely um, a fan of this. And if someone gets into taxes, and we've been trying to help illustrate this whole idea, most of us are relatively ignorant when it comes to taxes. Again, relative is a key word here. But if you make six hundred grand, you pay two hundred grand in taxes. Most of, most people are not a third as smart in taxes as they are in the um, the way you know, whatever industry it is that that pays them that six hundred grand. And so right. having a resource like what you guys have created is so valuable. There's no cap to how many questions I can ask about this. And and what we um, what we've been discussing since the beginning of the show is all CPAs are not created the same. And, right. and, uh, and, you know, shame on some CPAs sure, just like financial advisors and lawyers and all that, uh, and doctors in any profession, but, right. but in general, a lot of CPAs are really, really, you know, intelligent, but a lot of it falls back on the investor too. And, and the, the investor right. find that if they don't, if they don't know what to be asking, if they don't know, um, enough to show that they have the, uh, the understanding or the capacity to get into something like real estate professional tests, which we're going to spend a lot of time uh, this week and next week talking about. If they don't show they've got the capacity for that, a CPA is not doing them a favor by saying, "Hey, right. go look into this." Like that's not that's not good for them. So having a forum like you guys have created is uh, nearly impossible for the dollar value too for what that does to someone. It changes them from I just pay taxes and you pay whatever I'm supposed to pay, and my CPA tells me. Here's how much you pay, and if you pay quarterly or not. To I am now an investor. When I when I make that mental transition into investor or entrepreneur, uh, in, in, from a taxing point, of view, changes everything. Right, right. Big, big, big change. Big change yeah. when I made that transition. Yeah. So can you um, can you give give us just a, a little bit of context around this group? Like how how many members are, are part of that um, that forum? Right. So that's a great question. Right now, I think we have like 280 something members that are members of the Tax Smart Insiders group. And then we have all of our clients that are uh, a majority of our clients are also members. So I think we're sitting around somewhere between like 650 to like 700. Uh, I'd have to double check um, right now. But uh, yeah, we have we have a decent amount of members in there. Um, And it's 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 it's, to, to your point, it's a great place to get answers to tax questions. And we've We've been fortunate enough to be able to help a lot of people like yourself yeah. to, to be able to help that. So it's been awesome. Yeah, m- many of those members active. And then because you log in and I mean, I submit a question. And I, I don't submit simple questions. I get complex and detailed. And then, you know, typically within 24 hours, I get an email saying, hey, your, your answer's in there. And it's, yeah. it's, it's great. So um, I'm a big proponent of, of what you guys have created there. Uh, all right. So what I want to dig into now is we, we left off last week with Brandon getting into some stuff around around business owners. Uh, and I'm going to bring this into everyone here because I, I often recommend to, uh, to even you know, my, my W2 friends as well that 
that they should have a side hustle that qualifies them as a business owner. Um, right. With a big, you know, big asterisk by that saying, so long as this fits your life and your goals of what you're trying to do. If you are trying to save money in taxes or you're trying to, um, you're trying to grow your income, then absolutely you should be doing this. If you, if adding a new complexity in your situation is going to keep you away from your family and, and in, a, in a negative way, then by all means, that's not the right idea. But, but I certainly believe in this, you know, there's, there's a, the concept of, you know, putting your hand to something that the Lord can bless. There is this, there's just such a freedom and that the entrepreneurship is a gift. Hopefully it comes with a financial gain, uh, but then there are these major tax benefits as well. And so some of those are um, very misunderstood and abused. And I'd like to hit a couple of those just to be helpful people who are dealing with this. And then we're going to, yeah. we're going to get into reps here. Um, so home office, I'm a, at what point can I take a home office deduction? Like how much do I need to work from home or what does that mean? Do I need to have my own business? So who can take a home office deduction? And then I've got a yep. series of follow-on questions for yeah, absolutely. So you do absolutely have to be a business owner to take a home office prior to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. Uh, you were able to, if you had a W-2 job, claim the home office deduction if it was um, if it was primarily for the convenience of your employer. Uh, but that has since went away, so you can't do that um, as of this as of this recording. Um, you have to own a business. So, kind of some of the uh, requirements for a home office. Uh, you're going to have to have your home office needs to be your exclusive place of business. So excuse me, it has to be your principal place of business, right? So it has to be the place where you primarily meet with clients or patients if you're a doctor um, or if you have like in certain situations like where you own rental property or you have a business where you're not in the office all the time. It's the primary place where you're doing your administrative work, like your bookkeeping, your appointment setting, all that type of stuff. So has to be your principal place of business. So if you have like another office, it's very challenging to qualify for a home office if that's, you go to the office every day and that's what you you work out of a different office. So that's a, kind of the first requirement. Okay, so so a chiropractor who sees office sees patients at, at their office but then does all of their administrative work at home. You know, they start their day, they're in they say so start their day they're in their day at home doing doing work from their home office. Would that right. qualify not or is that in the gray area? Yeah, I mean, it, it, some of this stuff is in the gray area. You could sometimes kind of dance around some of it, but typically speaking, it needs if you have a if you have another office that you're primi- primarily doing your work at, then you typically can't claim the home office. The home office needs to be your your primary place of business. Okay, all right. Um, let's get into how, how do you calculate? So, assuming that it is that it qualifies there, um, then how do you calculate how much of, of a deduction you get? Percentage of the square footage. Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, so the secondary piece to this, and it's going to kind of turn into this question is it also the home office itself, uh, needs to be, uh, exclusively used for business, right? So in other words, it can't, the home office can't be a space where you also do personal things. Um, so kind of to, to clarify into that, and that kind of drills into your next question is, um, how to, what you can actually do. So the home office itself does not need to be an entire room. It can be a room, but it could be a section of a room. So for example, if you have like a, a garage or maybe you have uh, like a den or something like that, the home office can be just a portion of that room where you exclusively use that portion for business. So the way you typically deduct the home office, there's two ways. Uh, the first way is what's known as like the safe harbor method or the standard method 
which is where you just take 500, it's going to take $5 per square foot of your home office up to 300 square feet for a maximum deduction of $1,500 or $1,500. So that's the standard method. Um, now the next side of it, you have the actual expense method. And the actual expense method, uh, you have to determine the, the, the percent, the square footage of your home is typically how it's done. Uh, so from there, you can multiply the square footage of, of your home, your, the percentage of your home. So you take basically the percentage of your home office, the square feet, divide that by the square foot of your entire home, yeah. the square feet of your entire home, and you're going to get a percentage. That ratio, you're going to multiply that ratio by the expenses related to your entire home. These expenses are you know, commonly include your mortgage interest, the principal is not deductible, um, utilities, um, perhaps repairs and maintenance that relate to your entire home, um, it, like internet costs, things like that. And then um, also, so you do that, you get that ratio, you multiply by those expenses, that becomes part of your home office deduction. Now, anything you do to the home office itself, like a desk, um, like any repairs or maintenance or like furniture, things like that you'd have in the home office, that's typically going to be 100% deductible because that's going to be related directly to the home sure. office. So that's typically the way to do it. Now, there's another way you can calculate the the ratio that I mentioned, and that's uh, by room. So you could say like, but usually when that's used is if you have a house where or a home where most of the rooms are the same size. Okay. So if you say you used one out of five rooms, well, now you have what is that 20% of your house, right? But typically what we see is this square footage methods used most. Again, you divide the square foot of your home office by square feet of your entire house. You get that ratio multiplied by your expenses. And that's kind of how you, that's how the actual expense method okay. works. And then, so I could deduct, um, so if that's 20%, 20% of my internet bill is going to come up. Right. Okay. How about landscaping? Landscaping, that, that, that's an interesting one. Landscaping, there's, there's a task court case out there that basically says landscaping does not count. Um, there's an argument you can make that like if you need it to maintain the appearance of your home. But for the most part, landscaping um, from the one task court case that, that we're aware of uh, indicated that it, that it typically does not count. Okay. All right. Um, there's another one that is a little... Well, okay. Sorry. Before I go into that, what about... So principal, mortgage principal does not count. But what about rent? Rent, yes, rent, rent can count. So if you do rent, and you, you can typically deduct a portion of your rent, uh, kind of using the same, okay. the same, yeah, the same twenty percent we're talking about here. Okay. So uh, a lot of the, you know, so we've seen a massive spike in the number of pools that have gone, that have gone in um, lately. So someone who's using their home office, they they entertain out of their house um, as well, and then. How does the pool, pool and pool maintenance and any of those expenses would that fall into the same thing? Kind of landscaping, like don't don't go there, or yeah, I would say I probably. probably this, by the way, I'm just asking your opinion. Every every person listening is going to go talk to their own CPA and get their own CPA's opinion on this. So just help. Yeah, them. yeah. Yeah, I, I would be. I'd have to dig in to see if there's any specific tax court cases on that before saying yes or no. But like, just kind of my under, just knowing how this stuff works, I would have to urge her just, just like on off the bat, off the, off the top of the head here. I'd probably say probably not. Okay. Um, it's it's. I, I would say probably not. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. Vehicles. So vehicles, vehicles had this had this interesting turn where we have the six thousand pound limit here and. And for, you know, for the farm vehicle, now all of a sudden we got, you know, 
we got business owners driving around a G wagon and saying that this is their their farm vehicle. So, talk to us about vehicles and what what, what counts as a production. Right, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's a great question. So there's like the home office. There's kind of two different deductions for vehicles. One of them is the standard mileage deduction. Very very simple. It's you take the amount of miles you drive for business, mm-hmm. and you multiply by the standard mileage rate. And the standard mileage rate for 2023 is 65.5 cents per mile. Uh, so for example, you know if you were to drive. Now, let's just say you were to drive 10,000 miles for business this year. You're going to multiply that by by uh, 65 and a half cents, and you're going to get a deduction of around $6,550, right? Um, that That's the simplest method. What you just need to do there is you need to have an IRS compliant uh, mileage log. Um, there's apps like um, Everlance and uh, MileIQ that can do that for you. Or so you need to know the odometer for the beginning of the year, the odometer at the end of the year. And you have a log of each business trip you took, um, and just a kind of a note on how many miles it was and what the purpose of that trip was. Okay. So, and the, the trip. So that's kind of the standard standard mileage method. Next one is the actual expense method for vehicles. To do this one, you need to use your vehicle more than fifty percent for business to even use this. So, you use your vehicle, and that's determined by a mileage log. So, even if you use the actual expense method, you're typically still need to keep that mileage log. So. That one is very similar. Like, say, if you drove 10,000 10, miles for business and, um, or 10,000 miles total, let's just say, and 6,000 for business, well, now you have 60% business use of, of that vehicle and 60% of the expenses related to that vehicle are going to be tax deductible. So, things like gas, oil changes, repairs, maintenance, insurance. Um, and this is one you can decide at the end of the year. So, if you typically do a mileage deduction, but you had to, I just had to replace the transmission in my truck. And so, thank you, GM. Um, so <laughs> if the, if you have a big, a big expense like that come in, then you could, you could decide that before you file your taxes. Right, right. I, I will say that once you, once you go the actual expense method, though, you can't go to back to the standard method. So you could use the standard mileage uh, deduction for, say, a few years if you wanted to, if that made sense for your situation, and then convert over to the actual method. But once you go to the actual method, that's kind of it. You know, for, you know, you're kind of stuck on that method. So for that vehicle, but then when you buy a new vehicle, you can switch. Yeah, typically you're able to make that switch at that point, but once you have the standard mileage deduction for that vehicle, you're kind of you kind of you're that's you the method you chose. Okay. And how about then for writing off the the vehicle itself? Yeah, so that's that's another great question. So, um basically the way it works is this. If you have a vehicle of sit that weight has, has a gross vehicle weight rating, so that's a GVWR as they call it, of 6,000 pounds or more, um then you're typically able to uh, bonus depreciate the business portion, right, of okay. that you use. So say you purchased a $50,000 Ford F-150. Um, in that case, that has a gross vehicle weight rating, rating of over 6,000 pounds. You're going to go ahead and multiply that by 60%. Let's say you use it 60% for business. Then that's going to give you $30,000. Now, this year, as of this recording, this is uh, being recorded in, in summer 2023, you're looking at a 80% bonus depreciation. That's what we're looking at this year. So you'd be looking at like a deduction around $24,000, uh, give or take, depending on the specifics. But that's yep. kind of how that works. Now, yep. 
if the vehicle weighs under 6,000 pounds or has a gross vehicle rate weighting to be specific of under 6,000 pounds, it's typically considered like a luxury or a, a passenger vehicle, as they would call it under the tax code. And at that point, um, you're not eligible. Uh, you're capped on the amount of depreciation you could take. And I'm pretty sure it's uh, around uh, 20, 22500 this year, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And that's that's for the that's the max that you can take out of it. It's not that's not on a five year depreciation schedule or something like that. Well, the rest of it would be depreciated over over a five year oh, over the remaining uh, schedule. Um, up, but up uh, to in terms the, of the business usage percentage of it, right, okay, right, yeah, right. All right, I'm with you. Okay, thanks thanks for explaining that. That's helpful to me too. Um, okay, next one: paying your children. So this is one that I, I've seen as a phenomenal tool and also highly misunderstood and, and misused as well. Um, and, I, and I know kind of these, you know, the reason I'm choosing these things, I know these can be pieces. We, we got into this a little bit with Brandon about audits. And so we'll maybe right. come back to that at the end of this is just, let's, let's understand as we try to use these deductions, um, you know, what, what, what that's doing to our chance of getting audited. Um, but paying your children is often one that, that is, is misunderstood there. And so you can pay your children, and you can pay twelve grand now. There's thirteen. I don't know what what, what that's yep. up to now for, that you can pay without without uh, having to owe taxes on that. Yep. So it's going to be up to the standard deduction, and that's going to be thirteen thousand eight hundred fifty dollars for twenty twenty three. And that you know, so that that if you pay them, if you pay them below the standard deduction, uh, typically you do not have to file a tax return for them if they're a W two employee. Um, and because because they don't understand the deduction, and therefore they typically receive that money tax free. Okay. And do I need? Are they just a W two salary employee? Do they need to have a? Does that need to be through some separate LLC, or or I can just have them as a W two employee? I pay them thirteen thousand dollars, and therefore, and they don't have to pay taxes on that. Yeah, that's a great question. So typically, um, if you're a sole proprietor, so if they work for uh, their parents um, as uh, and as a sole proprietor. Uh, or a partnership, a husband and wife partnership, then they t- then you just have a W two um, for that business, and they're not going to be subject to self employment tax um, as well, right? But if you start getting into the realm of um, uh, S corps or corporations, then that's when you typically see um, exposure to the FICA tax or the self employment tax, um, and at that point, you might see some people do like a family management company where they'll have they'll set up a sole proprietorship or those like an LLC taxes that's disregarded or husband and wife partnership hire their kids through the husband and wife partnership and then kind of like contract out yep. uh, to their other companies so for example you might have like the s corporation say you're a real estate agent just pulling um, a business out of a hat here that's taxes and s corporation well if you go ahead and hire your child under that s corporation they might be exposed to that tax that I mentioned but if in that case, you typically would see someone create that management company and then just the S-Corp would hire them from the management company. Um, that said, uh, the management company, there are some people out there who, who believe that that's, that that could cause some issues under audit. Um, it's hard to say for sure, uh, but um, th- there th- that is not like a 100% risk-free strategy in some okay. situations. So so this is really powerful. I mean, uh, family with, so we've got three kids and that, that's 40 grand. That we could, that we could, you know, take off of our taxes um, by paying our children. The obviously, as a financial advisor, I, and the ability, 
now they've earned income, so now they can save into a Roth. So so each of our kids can max out a Roth IRA right. at that point from a young age. And man, the, the compound impact of that is, is massive. Um, so right. a huge, huge piece of that, the rest of the money could go into a fund and into a bank account for each of the kids that, that we use for their expenses. And even, right. it seems like I you know, hardly know anyone who doesn't have some kid in some sport that's way too expensive. And, and I, I can say that because there's a pot called kettle black here with, with my background. Um, but you can use those things to help pay for expenses for the kid with that other money that they have earned. Um, right. And the best way to do that is to then have your kid make a thousand dollars an hour to come sweep the floor. No, no, <laughs> no. Right, so let's, no. That. Let's, let's talk about then the rate and how we have to handle that to make this. Because again, what we talked about Brandon last time was we, we, we know that we can't be afraid, so afraid of an audit that we, or, I mean, you can be, but I prefer not to be so afraid of an audit that, that you, you don't take advantage of, of these opportunities that are legitimately out right. there. Um, but you want to have a, 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 an auditable record for everything. And that includes doing things the right way. And so not paying your kids a thousand dollars an hour for a job that typically pays $12 an hour. Right, right, right. Well, you know, they say, they say uh, pigs get fed, hogs get slaughtered, right? So that's, uh, <laughs> that's a good rule of thumb, I guess, when you're dealing with taxes in general, but I, I will say this. So like, um, the, the amount you pay your child needs to be reasonable for the work they're performing and for, you know, for what they're capable of doing at that age. Right. Um, most, you know, younger, it, there's a tax court case out there that basically says that like kind of where the taxpayer lost because their children uh, for the children under seven, because the tax court found their children who are under seven couldn't really provide meaningful work to the business. But the point of the matter is it has to be reasonable for what they're doing. So you're not going to pay, um, a child, a thousand dollars an hour to sweep the floor in your home office or in, in your regular office for that matter. Um, they're typically, you have to look up typically what happens, honestly, most people are not pay their child the minimum wage because you, there's not that much substantiation that needs to go into that. It's the minimum wage. That's what the child's going to get paid. Having said that, if you do have a child that's performing work that might be uh, higher than minimum, minimal, minimum wage, you're going to want to go out there and uh, come up with some form of substantiation of how you found that. Right. right? Um, there's different ways to do it, uh, different levels of sophistication. Sophistication. You go on a website like Indeed or like Glassdoor or Salary.com. One of those websites, find out what role they're doing and kind of get an approximate salary there. That's one way to do it. Then there's ways you can go on the Bureau of Labor Statistics, find out what's get, what they're getting paid uh, for for what for what work they're doing. Use that as substantiation. Uh, but there needs to be some kind of reasonable uh, determination of you need, you need to be able to provide some kind of um, path to how you came up with that decision. And it needs to be reasonable, right? Um, if you just pull the number out of the hat, that's when you're kind of starting to get into the territory of you might run into some problems if you were audited. All right. Now I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Um, so this is the one that, that I think, um, I think there's a, there's a valid argument to this one and, and that's model. So right. I've got a business that, that runs by, you know, Let's say that I'm trying to I'm trying to grow this podcast and, and I, I, I I don't I, I, if the podcast grows and it grows and it's for the glory of God and, and fantastic but if it if it doesn't grow and it's just you and me and and the crickets that are listening then so be it I'm sorry for wasting your time um, but the so I've got so let's just take just the podcast all right if I make a post about me and I post something in the podcast and it gets 
you know, five likes or 10 likes. I don't, I don't even know what it does. Um, but if I post a picture of my kids on there with it, then the, it gets, you know, 10 times the amount of views and likes and activity or more. Um, right. And so then, so that can say, okay, well now there's, there is real value that comes from, from paying my, or from having my kids model and the modeling rate is not a minimum wage rate. And so, so we know that there's, there's something there, but I, so I, I talked to those CPAs about this and they said, yes, but you can still go to a modeling rate and a modeling rate, you know, there's still something, something there to it. It's, it's still not a thousand bucks an hour for, right. for a modeling shoot. Um, the difference there is if I post pictures of someone else's kids compared to my kids, it, it won't draw near the, the, uh, attention. Um, and I don't really want to post pictures of my kids, uh, of my kids' faces, right? With, right. with everything going on in, in the AI and deepfake space and everything else, like I don't want to, I don't really want to post pictures of my kids. So if I'm going to do it, like I honestly hold this to it, and I, I would, I would stand before a court and say, like, I hold that to a very high value that if I'm going to do that, that it needs to be worth something substantial. So <clears throat> you don't necessarily have to go down that, you know high horse I'm on there and justify that. But, but can you just talk a little bit to the idea of, of paying your children for modeling fees and what, what right. someone should do there? Right, right. So so in those situations, right, so if your child's like younger, there's not much work they could probably practically do within your within your business, but you, you can pay them for photo shoots. Like some people do like, you know, biannual uh, photo shoots mm-hmm. of their children and use them in marketing materials. And uh, as you, as you kind of described there, um, that rate also needs to be reasonable. It needs to be determined on some kind of a reasonable basis. So if you go to the modeling rate, you know, and you find out what the, the going rate is, like say, for example, if your child was to model for a third party, um, that's going to be a reasonable way to do it. Now, whether okay. or not you can assign a higher value to that, you know, based on, um, you know, market, you know, including your child in, in your, in your stuff is, is worth more or less, um, that, that, that's, that, that's a horse of another color. Yeah. Um, but uh, the bottom line is that he, the bottom line is if you were to have the model, pay them a reasonable wage or reasonable rate for what they're, what they're, uh, what they're doing for you, then, then you should be, you should be fine for the most part. And so, so big piece of this is you need to be able to justify, you need to be able to justify right. everything here. Um, and so to do the work to, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say because you know the the issues with a lot of the stuff that we're talking about here, especially like paying your children. There's you know people the tax code and tax court cases. You know this stuff has all been done before, right? And people and they're aware this is ripe for abuse. So chances are, if you if, you, if someone thought of a way to to take advantage of this, it's probably been handled already. So that's why like when we're talking about like especially when it comes to paying your children, having you know substantiation of how you came to that conclusion of that's how much you're going to pay them for the work they're performing. That's why it's why it just becomes super important. And I'm going to just, I'm going to make another plug for you guys again here. Um, most CPAs are, are, most CPAs don't dig into the court cases. And then, then there are, there are absolutely some who are really good. Um, you know, I've got some really good CPAs that I, that I, I refer business to and I'm really happy with, and they, they do understand that, but most of them don't get into court cases and know what the, the code says. And that's kind of the end of that. And so, yeah. Um, so having a resource like the tax smart investors is, is absolutely a, 
an opportunity for someone to get in and ask and ask these questions in a way that that maybe allows them to continue staying with their CPA or maybe expose it to them that man, it'd be it's worth me paying. You know, Grant talked about you know the, the five thousand dollars up front to to engage with whole CPA. Like it might be worth that because I'm I'm giving up a lot more because my my CPA is is so far from the line. You know, like if, if the line's here, like we never want to like go all the way up to it, but some people want to stay, you know, half a mile back from the line. I think that's right. That's the issue. Right. And you know, what the, you know what the tax court cases do the tax court cases, like there's, there's, uh, Regu- there's regulations and there's the actual statutory code, and that usually provides some guidance on how to navigate these situations. But then you have all of these like what ifs and you right. know how far are, close are you to the line, and that's when you look at tax court cases because kind of like I said before, chances are this stuff is already someone's already kind of experienced this, and then you you look at the tax court case and say, well, how did the tax court actually deal with this when this situation came up? And that just kind of adds a little bit more clarity, and it's something that. Um, that can really help you just understand, you know, where that line is and how close that line you can get before you kind of could get into some trouble yeah. or yeah. get into some, you know, undefensible positions. So, so real quick to wrap up this one, um, LinkedIn and the reps here, but we are going to pound reps hard. Real estate professor says we're going to pound that hard in the next next episode. Uh, but let's just kind of wrap up here with audit. So, if, if I'm looking at this and and I'm only going to get a few thousand dollars of of you know actual money back in my pocket because of these these other deductions you know worth it or not and, and what, what what is the chance that me taking a home office deduction a vehicle deduction paying my kids how much more likely is that make me to get audited um so audit rates are are, are quite low to begin with um so the chance of you getting audited from the start from 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 the start is already pretty low now when you do take certain positions um they can increase your audit rate uh, generally speaking, if you take the home office deduction, you're probably not going to get audited unless you're being excessive on your expenses and like you have these just massive expenses that are just unreasonable. Like that could be a red flag. Okay. But if you're using the home office deduction, simply taking it in and of itself typically isn't going to increase your audit rate. Um, same thing um, with well vehicles. You could potentially run into some issues if you if you purchase the wrong vehicle or like vehicles that are not ordinary necessary for your business. So um, it could. But the point I'm trying to make with these, when it becomes excessive, okay. and like you're looking at it and just like, okay, you know, p- again, pigs get uh, pigs get fed, hogs get slaughtered. If you're looking at it and you're reasonable with these expenses, taking them in and of itself is not going to increase your audit rate or at risk. Same thing with your children. But if you're paying your children, you know, a hundred thousand dollars, and the kids, you know, um, fourteen years old or ten years old, um, chances are. You know, you might run into some issues, okay. uh, or that might be a red flag. Yeah. Okay. All right, that is good. We're gonna we're gonna wrap it up there. Um, thank you, Thomas, for all of all of the insight there. I think that those are just such common questions that people come across, and they just don't know. You know, it's just not common to have someone, you know, do a good in depth job of explaining that. So I, I truly appreciate your your time and expertise there, um, and we are looking forward to. Uh, this next one here with real estate professional status. So I uh, hope you will join us next week as we dig into that next one there. If you aren't familiar with what that is, uh, whether you wind up doing it or not, uh, this would be a powerful source of information for you uh, in the next episode here. So thank you, Thomas. Uh, thank you for having me, Eric. Right. Thank you. 
Thank you again for listening to Wealth Well Done. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And together, we'll continue to improve our relationship with money and our effectiveness in stewarding it well.